Hello, I am Cody Allingham, and this is the Transformational Value Podcast. Today I talk with Roberto Osegueda, an El Salvadorian living here in New Zealand. We talk about Roberto's experience growing up in El Salvador amongst the backdrop of the civil war and gang violence, and how the country has managed to massively change its image over the last few years for the better. El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as legal tender in September 2021, and Roberto shares a very interesting take on the success and the challenges of Bitcoin as a currency, and how it can perhaps serve as a positive model for other countries in Latin America and the world. I do hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to support the show, please consider streaming some Satoshis via your favorite podcasting 2.0 platform such as Fountain or Breeze. Otherwise, on to the show. Roberto, um, welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> we, we first met at the BitKiwi event uh, yeah, a couple of weeks like ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was quite blown away. I've never actually met someone from El Salvador before. So you're <laughs> yeah. you're from El Salvador originally? Yeah, yeah. So I'm from San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador. Um, and like, yeah, there's not that many Salvadorians in New Zealand. I think the last census said that there were like 109 in the whole country. So, and we know one, um, another um, person here in Wellington. And we know a few Salvadorians in Auckland, but yeah, it's not, there's not that many of us. What's the pathway for someone to get from El Salvador to New Zealand? Quite hard, quite hard, mostly um, recently now that, uh, you know, with this COVID and also um, when we uh, applied, because we are, we, we became residents when we arrived. So we arrived with a new um, resident visa. Um, after three years, we we were able to be able to become permanent residents, and after five years, we became citizens. Um, and it was really difficult because to apply for the skilled migrant visa back then, you had to like either have um, a skilled um, job like requirement, um, good English, um, uh, a lot of experience in certain areas. So basically any area in IT was um, uh, positive. Um, so, was, so you work in IT? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I work in IT. Yeah, I, I understand that the skilled um, the skilled migrant visa, is uh, it was challenging uh, yeah. several years ago. I think, though, it has been relaxed a little bit. Uh, it might have been relaxed now with COVID and now because even us in the office, we are seeing a struggle of finding engineers and and I'm guessing that's happening around different industries where there is not that many people. Um, we even have to, like we, we usually don't interview people outside of New Zealand and we had to interview recently someone from Dubai who had the, who has the legal right to work in New Zealand, but we usually don't go that far. Yeah. So there is a struggle right now to find. I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Mm. I mean, especially in Wellington, which though it is the capital, it's kind of a small place. And so yeah. finding people who are already here is very challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for someone to relocate, you know, that's possible. But even bringing someone in from Auckland who's got the skills you're after can be a real challenge. And then also the, you know, the expectations around salary and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that you have to, like, taking consideration basically like Wellington is becoming more and more um, expensive to live in mm. um, and yeah like not that many people are keen on moving to a place where like housing and 
on rent, it's really expensive. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to understand and sort of contrast that with your, um, I mean, growing up in San Salvador and your experience there. I mean, what was it like, you know, as, as, you know, as a kid growing up? Sort of what changes did you see and how would you describe your experience in El Salvador? Um, so in the last things like the new president um, took over, it has changed quite a bit. Um, in the last uh, 30, 35 years, um, when I was growing, uh, so I was part back in the 90s. And I'm not sure if you know much about that, Salvadoran history, but um, in the 90s, we had the end of a long civil war, which lasted like 10, 15 years. Um, uh, and we signed a peace agreement where it was supposed to bring um, peace to, to the whole country. But the problem is that um, what the civil war caused is that a lot of people had to migrate to the U.S. mostly because they didn't... Um, they, they even their place was too dangerous to live in because of the guerrillas, and, and so a lot of those people who migrated during the war um, started making. Uh, they they were taking part of the MS thirteen um, and and all these gangs in the U.S. and there was a big crackdown from the U.S. government back then when let's say okay, anyone who is a gang member. And I don't really care what you did. You, you're going back to El Salvador. So we had this whole influence of um, gang members coming into El Salvador, which some of them were like second generation U.S. Um, citizens, but they didn't they didn't know Spanish. So basically, they didn't know other way but to be part of the gang. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's similar to. Um, I mean, obviously, the MS Thirteen is is very serious, mm. very dangerous organization. I've seen a lot um, about that in in like Los Angeles and places like yeah. that. Yeah, that's where it all started. Yeah, yeah. but uh, recently, you might have seen in New Zealand, there's been a debate around the five hundred one um, deportees. You know, they grew, basically were Australians, but mm. they they had New Zealand citizenship by yeah. birth. Um, or by their parents, and they've been getting deported back to New Zealand yeah. and bringing sort of a level of violence which hadn't been seen before in New Zealand. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's one of the things like I see because I know there's gangs in New Zealand, um, and when I see that, and I say, yeah, that's that's kind of how it all started in the suburb like 25, 30 years ago, where like gang members were only seen as you know uh, teenagers like. Um, Rebels. Um, it wasn't they, professionalized. Yeah, but. it was. It was just basically stealing, um, doing drugs and stuff like that. And then it started become a bigger issue, um, and a lot of these guys started recruiting a lot of young um, teenagers who didn't have any other way of you know, making an income or something like that. So, um, if I'm right, so you're saying. A lot of the challenges here were because of the, the MS-13 gang members who were coming back yes. to El Salvador. So before that, it was actually not as bad. It was not as bad. Oh, I mean, okay. we, we are like like any other country, you still have, you know, crime. But it wasn't as bad before the gang members started. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I can understand that. I mean, where I grew up in Hawke's Bay is the home of the mongrel mob. 
um, mm. and and that and and Flaxmere, and that was a you know relatively tame organization. You know, mm. you didn't really they didn't interface with normal people that yeah. much. Um, they did their thing, um, but the, what you're seeing now with these um, Comanchos and these biker gangs coming in from Australia is they're actually quite blatantly. Um, you know, causing violence mm. and affecting the public, and you've got the ram raids and all of this stuff. And though it's nowhere near the scale of what you see yeah. in El Salvador, it's still quite shocking. Uh, you know, for New Zealanders, I think it's quite shocking. Um, <clears throat> mostly when, um, because we have had gang members for so long. We at the moment, the people that that are getting captured um, in the last um, crackdowns in El Salvador, some of them are second and third generation gang members. So that's all they know. They they don't see any other way um, for them to live. Um, that's that's their life, and and that's one of the things that previous governments never saw coming because they never really took um, high importance of taking care of those um, young um, teenagers. And, and I, I guess skipping back a little bit, so you you mentioned the civil war. Um, was that when you were when you were a child? Or? Yeah. Yeah, so the Civil War, um, I think it started around the end of the 70s. Um, so I was born in the, uh, 1982. So um, during my childhood, it wasn't as bad. But at the end of the 90s, um, it, it started like guerrillas started to go into um, uh, urban areas. Because uh, they were fighting the um, the soldiers and the police, and quite often we will have to go and hide on auntie's house or something, because um, the guerrillas were like literally outside uh, fighting, and you will have cases like for example I had cases where that house where we were um, hiding, um, he had a a bullet hole come from the window down into the into the toilet door and you can see the whole trajectory of the of the bullet and that was that was because the guerrillas and, and the soldiers were fighting right outside wow. and you could hear like my wife doesn't like helicopter sounds she's really scared of helicopter sounds because helicopters back then meant the the soldiers were close by and they were looking for someone so my wife doesn't like doesn't like that sound Wow. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was quite scary, um, and um, well, it became in the nineties, the beginning of the nineties, a, a new president was elected, and he started um, uh, a, a peace agreement with the guerrillas, and um, that was supposed to be the end of all those conflicts. Yeah, but that that the only thing, but. What started was a lot of um, ex-pats um, coming in from the United States. Oh, I see. Yeah. What would you say? And it's it's um, uh, you know it's okay to just kind of talk about it from your perspective. But with the Civil War, what, what from your understanding, what was the driving force behind that? You you talk about the police and the guerrillas. What what yeah. really drove that Civil War? So um, that was generations and generation of um, farmers um, who were getting um, harassed by so back then 
um, a lot of big farms were owned by a huge family. And if we go even farther than that, a lot of farmers even had like a small country within their own farm. Um, they even had like their own currencies back then. Um, and they would just and pay um, their like, indigenous farmers with their own currency. Oh, like scrip. Yeah. So it's not real money. It's no, it was not. It, some of them were like kind of money. It was like brass coins that they would pay, you know, the, the people that were working. Um, and it was really funny to see this um, because then they, it, if they wanted to buy something, they would have to go to another farmer and see if that farmer will accept this currency. But it was all of that was illegal because we had the Salvadorian Colon, but they were choosing to use that. Well, generation of generation of that um, operation of uh, farmers, um, it was caused this big uprising of the guerrilla. And a lot of these guerrillas are like uh, son of farmers who um, that's that was that was their life. Um, and they were they were not happy with what the government was doing. And yeah, it's it's a whole it's a big story that yeah. it's for a whole probably talk. Um, yeah. Well, no, no, that's that's fine. And, uh, I mean, look, uh, what, what I'm really interested in is your perspective on it, you know, because these are complex things. Mm. But um, would you say though it was sort of the urban rural divide? Yeah. Yeah. Because what you said about the the script, you know, this uh, this currency that's not really a currency. It's it's uh, you, you see it historically where. Mm -hmm. You know, you, someone in a in a mining town, for example, gets paid yep. by the company, and you can exactly. only use that with the mm. company. Um, and it's quite an exploitative practice. Yes. Um, however, you know, challenges with the local currency. Um, I mean, that's where we sort of get to our connection mm. through Bitcoin, um, because at the end of the day, I mean, the the Salvadoran Colón, the, the currency that um, went away. Yep. Right. Where, when did that go away? And so. Um it hasn't um, officially gone away. Oh, really? Um, but no one uses it. Okay. So I believe it was 2000 or 2001 when the U.S. dollar became legal tender in the Salvador. And the way that they um, sold this to the Salvadorians was that it was going to bring a lot of um, loans, interest, the interest loans, they were gonna be brought down. Don't know exactly why, um, because of the U.S. dollar, and so the problem with bringing the U.S. dollar was that there is there is and there and there was uh, a official currency um, conversion of one seventy five colones is one US dollar up until now. Officially hasn't changed. Hundred and seventy five colon or one point seven five. Eight eight point seventy five oh, colones, yeah. it's yeah. one US dollar. Um but because of the closeness for ten dollars, a lot of things started to get more expensive because people like, oh but I only have uh, one dollar. Okay, I'll sell you this product for ten dollars because that's the closest so a lot of things started to get more expensive because now you were trading in U.S. dollars, but you were getting essentially paid in Salvadorian colones. And um, we, uh, like 
quite rapidly, a lot of things got really expensive, like food, medicine, um, cars, housing, um, because of this um, conversion they had to do all the time. And initially, a lot of businesses had both prices, colones and Salvadorian and US dollars. And throughout the years, um, people started seeing the US dollar became more of a predominant currency. Um, and after around, I believe, 10 years, um, nobody will take colones anymore. So uh -huh. they didn't see um, the value on colones anymore. So that's what I tell people. Like, I see why people are in El Salvador are so afraid of Bitcoin because we have already been through this change of currency and we got the the um how to say the the bad end of the stick um we ended up paying more uh, because the conversions were like people were converting into the higher you know round number um so we already seen this and, and i see why people are not like some people might not be keen on using yet another yeah currency um i mean Diving into that a little bit, how would you describe, though, uh, you know, from my perspective here in New Zealand, you know, looking at what I see on, you know, Bitcoin news mm. and, and, and on Twitter and different places, you know, there's a lot of positive stories about Bitcoin, but I'm also conscious that there is another side to it, which maybe is coming out in Spanish. It's not necessarily talked about in the English world. Mm. I mean, from your experience, you know, with your talking with your family or people that you know back home and, and that. I mean, what is the general feeling about Bitcoin in, in El Salvador? Um, uh, when it was introduced, it was really exciting. Um, and a lot of people were really um, keen on implementing Bitcoin. And it was all of that because of the president. So because of the president, he up until then, he has always had a... Um, um, big numbers so he had always been really popular um so when when he introduced that everyone saw that okay that's that's another jet good idea coming from a president and everyone was super excited uh when it was introduced um in i think it was 7 of september 2021 um it was a bit messy because the own people are starting associating Bitcoin with um, Chivo wallet and and the way it was introduced if just to give you like a recap um, so the government implemented um, a the Chivo wallet and in order to um, make people use it like as a, as a reward they were giving you thirty dollars uh, free on your account. And so the driving for a lot of people was to get the $30. But the way you will um, sign up for the Chivo wallet, uh, the way to um, prove your identity was really easy to fool. It was basically just your photo um, and then uh, and a phone number. And then you had access to a Chivo wallet and you had access to the new to, to, to US dollars. But it so happened that a lot of people had pictures of 
um, the IDs of, like, for example, there's a lot of businesses in the suburb where you can go for like, um, do a, um, like a paper plus or something here in New Zealand, where you can get a copy of your um, ID. But a lot of those IDs, they, they keep those IDs, they give the copy. So a lot of them had that, those copies around. All they did is took a photo of your face and they already have all your details. They put in a fake phone number and boom, they had the Terra US dollars. So by the time a lot of people were activating the wallets, the, the Terra dollars were already gone because <laughs> they didn't have... Um, someone else had taken Someone it. else has taken it because the whole process was really easy to fool. Um, so a lot of people, because they saw it, said, oh, Bitcoin is a scam. Uh, I'm not oh, going to even use it. Yeah. So, and another like Salvadoran side like that, if if they're if they are not happy with the first impression, it's going to be really hard for them to like give it another try. And because we have been this, we have seen this so many times before, where a government has tried to implement something in in a really um, not really well thought way it hasn't worked out and then it fades away like for example we in the past we have had um at the one of the major chips um from san salvador he created he split basically a whole street um just for um a bus so it was i'm not sure what they call its bus these buses that are like one and two long it's kind of like a train oh yeah um, but basically, he created a whole street for these buses, and it was meant to be for um, improving and make um, public transport more efficient. And it failed; like it failed horribly. It made more, it made the public transportation worse because this whole street was only used by a bus that will only come like one every half hour, and then not, no one else could, I was able to use it. So we have seen this. Um, uh, failed implementations in the past and we and most people have told well another fail implementation uh, not gonna even bother interesting try. so it was really the the chivo wallet that was it seems like it was put together very quickly and maybe not yes. thought through as much as it should have been yeah so um i think it was put together in three months because he announced uh bitcoin Liga tender in june and in September, the Chivo Wallet was um, beginning. So there's there were some challenges with Chivo Wallet, though. Obviously, Bitcoin being an open protocol, you can use other wallets. How would you say the other solutions are being taken up? Like, is there awareness that there are alternative wallets? Do they all work in El Salvador? Like, in terms of getting access on the App Store and mm. Google Play and that sort of thing? Like, how how do people actually? use wallets mm. so uh, one of the th good things that Chivo Wallet did was bring attention to Bitcoin so even though there were people that weren't apprehensive to use it they still saw or they still like started to learn about Bitcoin um, and as you said some of them say okay I can't use this wallet so I'm going to use an alternative because I see the value I see I see the benefit on this so a lot of people started using alternative wallets like the Bitcoin Beach wallet. Um, and after a while, I think uh, Strike 
started um, working in El Salvador as well. I think Strike only supports Argentina, um, El Salvador, and the U.S. I think that's the only countries where it works. Um, and I personally tell my family to use Moon Wallet, but they don't really, they don't really like it. Um, so yeah, other alternatives have been used, and. Or like for example, the strike. What they're doing to attract customers is that they are offering discounts on different places. If you use the strike, like ten percent, fifteen percent discount. Um, <clears throat> so, um, as a way f for myself, um, and I think that's that's one of the a lot of former Salvadorians who I migrated. So, um, they. A lot of money coming to El Salvador, uh, it's coming from these immigrants in El Salvador. Remittance. Yeah, yeah, the remittances. Um, so another thing that Bitcoin was supposed to do was to um, basically eliminate the fees that Western Union and PayPal and other, other alternatives to send money or the normal banking system. It was supposed to bring down the... Um, the fees, um, and a lot of people did see that, and pro they probably still do it. I myself do it. Um, I use with my brother. Um, I tell him, okay, what what do you want to use? Do you want me to send it to you on Bitcoin on your Moon wallet, or do you want me to use uh, Chivo or, or Strike? And we've been trying different wallets. Um, he seems to prefer Strike because it's quite reliable. It has discounts in different places, and <clears throat> and the only downside is that because he still has to convert because not that many businesses are accepting Bitcoin um, right now in El Salvador. Um, he still has to convert that to US dollars. How does he convert it? So with the implementation of the Chivo wallets, the government implemented ATMs, Chivo ATMs. And they are all over the country. Um, the only problem that the two ATMs had is that you can only withdraw uh, $20, $20 notes or bills. And uh, you still had to pay a little fee. Are there many um, other money changes that are not Shiva ATMs? For example, are there shops you yes. can go to and yeah. get US dollars? Yeah, so I think I believe the, other, the second biggest one is the Atenas, Atena ATM, which I think you can find in El Sonte and a few other uh, places. And sorry, um, just going back a little bit. So um, how long did you say you'd been in New Zealand? I We arrived in New Zealand in 2013. So. Okay, so you've been here a little while. So yeah. you would have seen, um, yeah, and your brother is in El Salvador, so you would have seen a period where you had to use PayPal or Western Union. Yeah. Before, what yeah. we we using which one did you choose usually? Um, me and my wife, we usually we normally use Western Union. Okay, so Western Union, and I mean I know there's a couple of Western Union places in Wellington, yeah. and so what sort of fees were being taken out by Western Union back then? I think they might still do. Um, I think they were taking up like five to ten dollars if you're send if you were sending like. I don't know, a hundred dollars. They were taking around like five dollars. Is it a percentage usually? I or? think it's a percentage. Okay, so yeah. like five to ten percent. Yeah. 
Okay, and then now with your brother, you you can experiment with Chivo, mm. um, Strike, Moon Wallet, and you send it directly with almost no fees yes. over Bitcoin. Yeah, and then locally, he's now got that Bitcoin value. He can go to a an ATM yeah. or a money changer and actually just get US dollars out. Is cash like US dollar cash money still very popular? Like, is that the mo- the main way to yeah. to transact? Yeah, at the moment it is. It is. Um, and the Bitcoin adoption has been really slow. It started like, when the Chiba wallet was implemented. It started like everyone was really excited, and a lot of businesses started to um, accepting Bitcoin. And now it's decreasing, and it seems like it's mostly um, um, single. Uh, no, no big organizations. Only like, for example, taxi drivers, um, some vendors um, are accepting it. Like big organizations, like Hertz, like if you want to rent a car or something, it seems like they don't see the value in that. And 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 I get it because those guys have access to you know the Visa network. So why would they want to use... It's interesting you mention that though because I remember seeing in the early days of mm. Bitcoin, you know, you had like McDonald's and Starbucks yeah. having acceptance yeah. of it. Is that still a thing? I or? think I think probably Starbucks and McDonald's, I think they still do. But many organizations, they just simply dropped. Um, I'm not sure if you, if you follow, um, there are uh, some Bitcoin magazine um, bloggers, uh, Nick... I think it's Nick in, um, they're Italian. Um, they were in the Salvador about three months ago. And one year before then, they went for the Adopting, adopting BTC um, event. And they they said that they were able to hire a car through Bitcoin. They were able to buy beers in Bitcoin. And they said that the acceptance was, um, it was better and then when they came back a year later, um, a lot of those businesses, but they actually used Bitcoin last year or the year before, they were saying, "No, sorry, we don't, we don't do Bitcoin anymore." Interesting. So that I mean, I think it's good to get this sort of reality check mm. on what's going on. Mm. Though I often wonder. I mean, there, as you say, there was a lot of excitement, and yeah. also the price of Bitcoin and US dollars yeah. was going up and up. Yeah. But where we are today is maybe people a little bit more scared, um, unsure. Um, and I wonder how much of that has to do with the, you know, the the, the rate yeah. of exchange. Yes, it has to do with like a few things, right? It has to do with, I think, with that um, volatility of Bitcoin. So if you want to have raw Bitcoin, um, not as stable um, coins, um, you're going to have to accept the volatility. Uh, so some people are not are not keen on that because they can't afford have volatility. Like fifty dollars might be the only fifty dollars that they have. If tomorrow they have forty five, that's not good to them. Um, so so um, I see that. Um, so for them, some of that will be the volatility. Some of some of that will be um, the lack of education. So. <clears throat> Up until now, I don't think there is any big um, government-funded education programs about Bitcoin. Um, a lot of the education that is happening in El Salvador seems to be a grassroots education. So from communities like uh, El Sonte and the Hop House. Um, so 
those are the guys who are mostly pushing for for education i was going to say i mean uh, again with the the language um in terms of spanish and what's out there you know because there's sometimes it's hard to even find you know english resources that are Mm. kind of clear yeah um what is it the the landscape like for just you know accessible resources for people to learn about bitcoin in spanish Mm, in the Salvador, not that much yeah um and i think it all comes down well the past year in the Salvador have been like it has not bitcoin has not been unfortunately well unfortunately it hasn't been the main topic in the Salvador. in the last year we have had um the gang crackdowns for the whole year so um i see why the government like had to drop um bitcoin topic for a little while because they had to focus on more important stuff so so with the coming back to the gangs so it seems like that kind of came under control at some point and now there's another crackdown or what's what's really driven this latest one so when bukele became president in 2019 he um immediately started uh a crackdown on gangs and you immediately saw uh, a drop on murder numbers um, before Bukele. Because that was quite a high number yeah, of murders. We previously. were having 10, 15, 20 murders per day. Um, and when he became a president, he went down to three or four, um, which everyone was saying, wow, that's a, that's a big improvement. Um, <clears throat> so um, for, a, for a long time, um, that was the thing. Then Bukele um, uh, said Bitcoin was going to be legal tender, and I'm not sure if you saw, but he's during that time he had ha- he had all a lot of um, big Bitcoin guys come into the country. One of them was C said he came into the country and he they 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 met. So Binance, C- yeah, CZ. yeah, yeah. So he came into the country. I believe it was that week when exactly that week when the the gangs uh, committed 80 murders in the in the lapses of like three days um and you can see that do, do, we know what they did it they did it because they wanted to show show that he they still had power we still are not clear whether they did they did it the gang members or the gang organizations came up with that over there were other influences like trying to overshadow um Bukele's um plans and to show whoever comes into the country to show them that El Salvador is still a really dangerous country so don't do business with Bukele so also oh, you think it's like yeah. a political statement like yeah. wow yeah I don't I don't to be honest I don't think it was the gang members I think there may be other Oh, like, forces behind yeah. them that that drew drove that because he was really like exactly when he was having He's, someone in yeah when they were showing okay see this is still so don't do business with Bukele wow um so when that happened um you could see the the big change in Bukele like say okay that's this is enough um so he immediately um meet with his um, committee. So he has the Ministry of um, Security, the Ministry of the Police, 
um, and they all came into an emergency meeting and they said, okay, this is, this is a highly unusual. Um, what can we do? And then they say, okay, let's implement the, uh, there's a, you can implement emergencies um, when extreme events happen in the Sabbath, but you have to renew them every 30 days. So they say, okay, let's implement an emergency because this, this is an emergency. This is quite unusual. If this happened in New Zealand, that would be like, like really, really like a, a big event. So he, they um, implemented an emergency act and for the next 30 days, he, the, he sent the whole soldiers and the police against the gang members. He knew this was going to be an easy, this was not going to be an easy test. So, so he started hiring even more soldiers. Um, I think he roughly, his numbers, not sure how many soldiers he's got, but he, he was aiming to have 40,000 soldiers. Um, and re remembering, El Salvador is five million people, right? Yeah. So similar to New Zealand, you know, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. So forty thousand soldiers. Yeah. For just for trying to catch the gangs. Yeah. 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 So um, when that happened, I said, "Okay, that's uh, this is enough. Let's let's go after these guys seriously." And because at the end of uh, sorry, at the beginning of last year. Um, a new, um, the new legislators came in uh, into the government. Um, previously, the legislators <clears throat> were mostly against him, so I think they're only like around. So in the south, we have 80, 84, I think MPs in New Zealand. Out of those eighty-four, only six were pro Bukele. The rest of them were like completely oppose him oh really so every time he will try to ask for um money to uh, to help the police or help the soldiers get more equipment or or, or um, get more gear they will say no no so um what's the system like for um uh, electing a government is it like uh, you vote for the president and you also have like a, a local representative. Like, yeah. how, how did he get in with only six members supporting him? <laughs> so Bukele, he has his long story. So he was a the mayor of a small, say it's a small town, but it was a really successful town because he had a lot of businesses. Um, so he was the mayor of this town. And he at that time he was part of the left the left party called FMLN. Um, when he became mayor, he was part of that party, and he was super popular because he improved um, the mayor. Um, sorry, that, that council, that district, he improved by a lot. So he then decided to become um, to go for the mayor of the capital, and. Because he was so popular, he immediately won the mayorship of the San Salvador capital. So he started to become more and more people started to know him. More is he became more popular. They started to like the way he will um, implement ideas. He was quite young as well. He was quite young. He's, he's my age. Yeah, he's yeah. my age. Yeah, he's I think he's forty or forty-one. Um, but he's really smart. Um, so when he became mayor chip, um, a lot of people were asking, okay, 
are you would you ever consider be a president and the party that he was part of um he had a he had a misagreement and and they kicked him out um so f for you to participate as a for a presidency you need to be part of a party and that party has to have had um they has to have about 200 i think they the the number that they asked for signatures to approve the party was really high so i think they're asking they were asking for like 50,000 signatures to create the party um but when they when they kicked him out um he would come and you can still see him in his um, facebook page he will come and he will ask people on a live stream like what do you guys want me to do would you like me to be your president and they were during months i think he considered where he wanted to be, be um um run for presidency or not so one day he said okay i'm gonna do it i'm gonna start a new party but i really really need your help and he was speaking on a facebook live to like oh sorry um to a lot of these people and that's when it all started with his new party um he said okay we need 50,000 signatures he raised 250,000 signatures for his party so there was no way that they could say no because um the opposition was not only a big part of the legislation um but also they had control of the um the election institute so the election institute was putting a lot of um walls and blocks so he wouldn't even be able to become presidents so he had all the signatures the party he had created the party but by the time he um brought the the, the signatures and everything they said no it's too late sorry we came they were always finding a way but because he's really smart um what he did is like okay i'm going to associate with a party that's already um uh there and I, i'm going to run for like you know the internal elections and and see going to see if i can become president through this other party and yeah he became president and like they couldn't find any other way to block him yeah so he's officially not the president from his party because he he won the presidency from a, from a different party but everyone people didn't care for them he was um he was part of his new party which is called nuevas ideas new new ideas this is um his party so um when he became president um he started implementing really um and new ideas he a lot of the things that he did is that he was showing everyone what he was doing so that that that's what i'm saying that he's really smart because a lot of people ask, tell uh, talked about the lack of um transparency yeah and but they don't see that what he's doing is like he's actually showing people the process the process yeah. what is what and you can see it if you follow his twitter account and if you follow the the twitter of, of the the ministries and they every day they show 
a new street, a new school, a new um, a new project. They they're showing people what they're actually doing. Yeah. Do you think? Um, I think transparency and that is really important. Would you say that there was already though within the existing um, government? Um, like a degree of corruption and just yeah. infighting in that as well. So he was sort of fighting not only gangs, but yeah. also his own kind of incumbent people who yeah. maybe were corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously um, when he became president because he became popular, I think one of the reasons that he um, he had to leave his old party was because he wasn't, he didn't agree with the things that, they wanted him to do so i said okay um i'm leaving um and so the op- after that the opposition was against him completely because they knew what he meant if he became a president um because these two parties there's officially like four or five parties but the other ones are really um, minorities so there's they only have like two or three legislators um so these two big parties, one of them is the left party, but he was part of, and the right party called Arena. Um, these guys, um, they knew that he became presidency. It would mean that they will lose power, Yeah. not just in the government, because in the last four governments or four or five governments, basically what, they, what, what we went from was we had left party government and then we had a right party government. And just flip flop. Free flop yeah. between them for the last and, 25 years. And the actual normal people maybe didn't see that much change or improvement. No. no. Yeah. And like, and I remember that like one time of the left party, their slogan was, We are the change. Yeah. Okay? And they were like, Oh, yeah, you are the change because <laughs> the, you are the opposition of these guys. But when you actually came into government, you didn't actually do anything different. You still had this under the table uh, corruption. Um, so, yeah, they these two parties saw him as it was go- it was going to be the end of their power. Yeah. And not not so much the power, but their way of living because these guys were making a lot of money through like corruption, right? like. They were offering projects for to people who didn't even have the requirements. Yeah. Um, they were also using all these um, or organizations that were supposed to um, help communities because back then everyone thought like uh, the problem is that the government doesn't have money because the country is poor, and because the country is poor, there has to be other organizations that help. Um, communities around El Salvador. So they were selling this idea that the government didn't have enough money. That's why schools were bad. That's why the streets were bad. And we needed someone else to take um, to help us with that. So they funded, um, they created these side organizations that were supposed to, um, for example, bring education to communities and things like that. And what they did is through the legislators were also corrupt because they were also from their party they were funding money to these organizations from and this was money coming from USAID um, from all these um, organizations that were trying to fund um, local um, organizations that were um, uh, carrying out 
um, projects to help people. Yeah. So you would so. you would have seen then, um, I mean, because El Salvador, I mean, there must be natural resources, there must be um, industry that is valuable, and so you've got people at the top who are able to intercept that. Mm. And live very yeah. nice lives, and maybe they've got U.S. Yeah. bank accounts, they've got yeah. you know property in Florida or whatever, yeah. um, and then you've got local, just normal people who are thinking that it's a poor country. Exactly. Um, and yeah, so that could be quite um, stressful. I imagine to just have that huge gap and that level of corruption, which I think a lot of New Zealanders are unable to even understand what that means. Yeah. Because I mean, we have challenges here politically, mm. but certainly. You know, I can walk down the street and see MPs. You know, yeah. I, I I live you know 500 meters from where the prime minister lives. You yeah. know, in, in in Thorndon here in Wellington, it's like there's not that distance where they've got armed guards and machine guns and they're untouchable. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of parts of the world, it's it is exactly like that. You know, and normal people don't they feel powerless. Yeah. Um, whereas I just come come back to Bitcoin, so. Um, you know, maybe there was this hype and excitement around Bitcoin. Yeah. But still, the real thing that it's enabled, though, is, you know, the remittance that, you know, you're using that yeah. for your remittances. I imagine a lot of other people are. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, that alone seems like it was a success. Like, what, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, remittances were a big success because Bitcoin basically allows decreases the fees to like almost nothing like when if when i send money to my brother i think i pay like a cent or something through the lightning network so one cent uh, opposed to five or seven dollars that the western union was charging before is hips and and not only that because um when you were sending money through western union you needed to have a western union close by other and you needed to wait for the Western Union to be open so you can cash out. Um, so you wouldn't be able to send money on a weekend, for example, or on a Saturday night or a Sunday night. You were not able to send money. Or if you were, like, you will have to wait until Monday to get it out. Um, and with Bitcoin, from my feeling, it's like I'm actually sending money directly to their pockets. There is an intermediary, for example, if you use a strike, there's an intermediary, but that intermediary is not taking that much of a fee. But that's only because he, my brother, is choosing to use Strike. If but you use Moon Wallet, if you use Moon Wallet, yeah, yeah, it would be like completely. Yeah, it would be like almost no almost fee. Almost nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in terms of remittances, it's making a big difference um, because now the money that Western Union or PayPal or um, or the banks would keep is going to your families. Uh, pocket peer to peer yeah and so for me that's that's one of the big values and um i i see um how it will be useful in new zealand as well because in the same way uh, a lot of um the pacific islands have um people living in new zealand who are probably doing the same thing they're sending remittances back to fiji back to well Samoa. i mean even you know where i'm from in hawks bay the there's a lot of uh, apple pickers and and people who work seasonal jobs mm. and they come over from um samoa tonga mm. places like that and they get paid here and then um 
you can often take, I think New Zealand dollars are similar to, to El Salvador, where New Zealand dollars and Australian dollars are somewhat usable in the Pacific Islands. Mm. Um, however, just being able to send that is, is quite a nice feature, you know, without mm. having to go the long way. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think there's also some, some analogies there. Um, but I think also coming back to like the role, you know, El Salvador has really led the way with this. And mm. I mean, have you noticed or have are you aware of sort of changes that have taken place now that Bitcoin is legal tender? I mean, there are people going to to El Salvador specifically who would never have thought about it before, mm. specifically because it's Bitcoin is accepted there, yeah. like tourism, that sort of thing. How has that changed? Uh, tourism has uh, been impacted a lot by Bitcoin. Um, when as soon as uh, Bukele announced Bitcoin as legal tender after the Chivo wallet, I think it was December 2021, um, a lot of Bitcoiners started arriving just to see what it was, just to see what it's like to be in a country that accepts Bitcoin and use their own Bitcoins. Um, and that's all right. I mean, it's the same for New Zealand, right? We want tourism so they can bring money. It's exactly the same in the Salvador. It doesn't matter what you come for as as long as you bring the money. Bring the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all it takes. And Bitcoin basically was kind of like a um um a, a slogan like come and spend your your Bitcoin. Well, I mean it, it sort of aligns as well. Like I know in places like Colombia um, and in other parts of Central and South America, there's a real thing around like digital nomads and like mm. people doing like tech work or design work or whatever. Mm. Um, and they can live in that place and kind of, you know, learn to speak Spanish, learn mm. to kind of integrate, but working overseas. And then they're also creating kind of this digital sector. Uh, have you seen that sort of thing emerge in El Salvador? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there is um, a few people. And there, I know there's a couple from Canada who um, migrated to El Salvador. There's some New Zealanders as well. Yeah, right? Nick and James also. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen, I seen them. Um, they have migrated, and I believe they're still they, the same thing that you're saying. They, they work remotely. Yeah. And Well, that's. I mean, that's a real um, critical thing. And even in New Zealand, and I'll tell you, like, working in New Zealand but doing work for, say, American companies, that arbitrage you get being able to work for you know basically get us dollars mm -hmm. in the new zealand market you know where it's not a very big place either there's not that much in certain sectors but if you can work for an american company in new zealand you bring in us dollars yeah. that you know there's there's a whole lot of benefits with that so it's the same with working yeah. in el salvador bringing yeah. in us dollars or new zealand dollars yeah. um, and you start building communities around that yeah. um, and i think that's a real beautiful story i mean that's just yeah a real positive thing yeah. and I, I feel like the whole covid thing kind of i'm just thinking the timeline on it but it seems like that may have had also an impact on mm. el salvador right because you would have had tourism before yeah and then it went almost probably to nothing and now it'll be starting to just yeah. normal tourism yeah. will be re-emerging yeah yeah so i think bukele he was already into bitcoin before he um, decided to implement it as a bit as a legal tender. Seeing back in 2017, he was already tweeting about Bitcoin. Um, so I think his idea wasn't new, but he saw the potential. The def he definitely saw the potential, you know, because 
since he started uh, the government, his whole idea was to change the global, the outside perspective of El Salvador. Because be- before him, El Salvador was only known for gangs and violence and corruption and crime. Um, and and if even if you, if you were to go in on YouTube and you will look for El Salvador, the first thing, be, the first video that you will see will be gang related or violence related. So he, what he wanted to do was to change that perspective to prove to um, other countries that El Salvador wasn't that um, dangerous place. I mean, I think it, it's, he's done an excellent job with that. And I mean, I often think of uh, somewhere like Singapore, hmm. which, you know, long time ago, it was an extremely poor country, you know, yeah. after World War II. Um, we used to send aid to places like Singapore, hmm. uh, even Hong Kong. Um, and just uh, through um, various forces and innovation, those places like Singapore were able to become, you know, extremely wealthy countries. Hmm. And I feel like, you know, not being an expert on geopolitics, but I feel like uh, El Salvador almost could represent a bit of a, a shining light for not only the country itself, mm. but the other places around it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of challenges with Argentina, Brazil, you know, mm. there's a lot of just sort of issues. Yeah. And if El Salvador can do it and go from here to here, other countries will think, oh, yeah, let's do that too. Mm. And you might see this sort of mm. renaissance of, you know, Latin America. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Singapore because um, a lot of, and I think the president himself has said it before. We want to be, we want to be like Singapore, like um, we want to be that country that um, came from a very, uh, being a really poor country um, to being this really huge success. Yeah, and as you're saying, that um, a lot of countries in Latin America are seeing what he's doing and, and are taking notes and are taking yeah. notes yeah the guys like that are really smart uh are following his path um and the people are seeing him as like it was it's funny because um when you see you see people like going to argentina or um or venezuela and in latin american countries and you ask him have you heard about El Salvador? And they say, oh, yeah, Bukele. Yeah. And they say, because they know how popular, he's he's not just popular in El Salvador, he's popular in the whole of Latin America. Well, I mean, I think there's a there's a certain thing there because you've also got, um, except for, you know, Brazil, you've got a, a demographic of Spanish-speaking media and it, it, it is sort of like, you know, you've got the English world and then you've got the Spanish world and it is Central and South America and... If you can have a country like El Salvador really pushing through and kind of breaking out of this trope of mm. corrupt, you know, poor um, gang related. I mean, that, that's the story of Colombia. It's the story of Argentina. You know, all of these countries have the same story. But if one country can emerge and say, hey, actually, there's another way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just like with Singapore, where it was um, led by a, a like visionaries, you had these, you know, individuals who who were in quite powerful positions but they used that to usher in a better way mm. and i think that's one of the criticisms that's often like you know um leveled as to against bukele is to say well he's you know he's blocking up all these gang members you mm. know maybe he's not doing it 
through the right process or something. Yeah. But you've got to put yourself in that position and say, well, I'd rather have those guys locked up yeah. than, you know. Yeah. Um, it's an extreme. It's an emergency. Yeah, yeah. It's if when you're in that bad of a situation, there is no other way around. Like you got to do it. You had you had to do it. Like otherwise, it's just gonna come back. Yeah, and that's it's the normal people who are gonna be affected mm. the, the most. So, I, I think it's it's incredible. And and I love even the name of the party. What was it? New idea. New ideas. New yeah. ideas. Like, yeah. I mean, that for me really signals something quite positive. And and I think the other piece of it is looking at the relationship with the United States, which, in a way, I, I think there's a a bit of antagonism. You know. De- definitely South America where historically places like Brazil and Argentina were very wealthy countries mm. but it was unfortunately the intervention of the United States which caused uh, some some major economic yeah. issues and I mean I would love to go to South America um, Argentina it's mm. a beautiful city it's like a European oh, city yes, yes. have you been to Argentina? no I've seen I've seen I've seen on YouTube videos about Argentina and yeah it looks it's like it uh, looks like Europe it yeah. looks like um, you're walking through the streets of Europe it's it's, and, it's really amazing and also if you look at its um, resources so um, Argentina in particular it's like so much farmland it's a ridiculous mm. amount of land and if you were to apply some of the innovations that we have even in New Zealand for just farming and technology mm. to Argentina, it could become a major, you know, exporter of food and produce. Yeah. But it's just because of the currency, because of the money is broken, they've got inflation and it's it's all kind of messed up. They're not able to really achieve. Yeah, they're their not producing pro- as much as they would want to because their currency is just becoming. Yeah, and everyone starts struggling, and yeah. and I think if El Salvador can lead that, I mean, imagine if you had like tech companies and and these digital people starting to you know invest and build in El Salvador you get the gang problem under control you start having you know some real good systems you start bringing everyone up and then people start having hope and I think that's something that's really important is having that kind of hope for Mm -hmm. a better way and then it's like well I don't need to be a gang member because if I actually can learn and and study and Mm. be successful I can actually make more money than if I was a gang gang member yeah Yeah, there is a lot of um potential success um, through rebranding a country either through decreasing crime or through um, being a a new tourist place that people would like to go so um, because of bitcoin and as you're saying like this could be or it's becoming an example of a lot in a lot of latin american countries they if they want to they want to follow a path because so far, no one knew actually how to solve this problem. Cause gang members, drugs, um, corruption. When you hear that, just and you say, oh, you associate that with Latin America, yeah, and it and that's common. Like I, I sometimes felt like you know a bit, it it an unjustified because uh, it, Latin America is actually. A beautiful place like and if you've been to any of the latin american countries you'll see green beers um it's it's amazing country but the only the only perspective that the outside um war has about latin america has been like corruption and and drug problems and crime um and very few people can see the the beautiful things about um, all of these countries um 
now that uh, one country is is trying to break through in China in a different light, other we, I'm hoping that other countries start to see that and start to see that yeah, there is another way. Yeah. Um, and as soon as they realize that, uh, if they if they're quick quick enough to realize that, they could like hop in and and benefit from the potential of the Sabado. Because I, okay, I, some people could say, okay, I wanna, I wanna bring my company to Latin America. But the only, um, the only country that I see right now that it's, um, it's a good, safe place, maybe El Salvador. But if companies start, other companies to say, oh, maybe I'll try Argentina, or maybe I'll try these other places. Because they're starting to see, um, a, a good place where they can establish their companies. Um, that is good for the whole. That's for for everyone. Yeah. And I mean, everyone there is, um, if you can give them a hope, I mean, certainly I, I see a lot of hope. And I mean, for yourself, I mean, are you optimistic for the future and for the future of Bitcoin in, in Latin and America? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, a lot of, obviously, each country is different. But like Argentina, um, Brazil, Venezuela, it's it, it's seen Bitcoin as a big alternative to the to their currency because it's it basically losing all the purchase power that they have had before. Even even Cuba, um, which um, they don't they have their Cuban. It's exactly the same. So they have an official currency conversion between Cuba and I think it's Cuban pesos and US dollars and then there is the street currency exchange which is much higher than um, so those guys are benefiting from US dollars because US dollar doesn't lose as much purchase power as their own currency and Bitcoin is yeah. that alternative and i mean even just hypothetically i mean if you've got this kind of block of countries who are using bitcoin um it also reduces those barriers to trade and so el salvador what countries does el salvador have a border with oh, we have a border with nicaragua honduras and guatemala and i think we also no yeah only those three okay. countries but so, we're really close to costa rica and panama and yeah. panama yeah because yeah. i'm just thinking i mean even something like Panama, which is a kind of a bit of an outlier because that's um, uh, a very tiny little, it's just really a, a tiny little place there. Mm. But if all of those countries can trade amongst each other, borders start to sort of disappear mm -hmm. in a way. And so instead of everyone using their own little homemade currency yeah. or US dollars, which they don't even control, yeah. they can just use Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you start having um, a, a larger economic kind of block yeah. emerge. Yeah. Um, which could be extremely powerful yeah. for you know for Latin America. Yeah, that's that's the thing. So when we um, when we went from having colones and having colones and dólares, and then losing colones altogether, we basically lost the ability to even influence the currency because we couldn't print more because it doesn't belong to it's us. Not, yeah, it's we we're using a loan currency. So there is nothing that we can do to influence if we wanted to like a Salvador inflate or in or create more dollars. We can't because it's it, it's not ours. Um and so we had we have to have an alternative for that. And there are, we need an alternative 
that will not lose purchasing power throughout the years. And at the moment, even though Bitcoin is like super early, and I'm 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 thinking that's that's probably why it's so volatile. Um, the purchasing power is over the years is going up. Um, so what would you want to have? Something that is slowly going down, also something that is like going up and down, but throughout the years it's going. Yeah, and I mean, look at the end of the day, Bitcoin. Um, we've got the halvening coming up in just over a year. Yeah. Um, I think what you're going to see is, look, maybe some people got on the bandwagon a couple of years ago when uh, Chivo Wallet first came out, when Bitcoin first came to our sales mm. door, but maybe they saw, you know, the price volatility and they got out. But I think once we see the price start going up again, yeah. more people are going to get on. And every time people get on, some, some you know, get off again, yeah. but more and more people stay on. Yeah. And at the end of the day, using it as remittance, works already that's an, an amazing yeah. use case that's benefiting you know yeah. personally benefiting you and your family yeah. um if businesses can start building on it um people start kind of seeing how mm. the cycles work because yeah. every four years you know there's half as much bitcoin coming onto the market through mining yeah um through the halvening process i mean that's that's just going to lead to increased prices i mean that's the way it was designed that's the way it works yeah. and maybe who knows in, in four years we'll be having this conversation again um, coming up to the halvening after that mm. and it's it's the prices you know stabilized quite mm. a lot it's um being used by three or four countries now in latin mm. america who knows what the future could be yeah. what you're saying about yeah what you're saying about the remittances that's yeah that's that's we, we talked about that um but the the other thing that i see positive in is that you are if for example i do um a lot of donations to content creators um, in El Salvador and other places and having the feeling that you can donate directly to them not to the bank it's an amazing feeling oh value for value yeah, because I'm feeling like I'm actually helping them not helping the bank yeah not helping PayPal um, and I at every time I, I see one of these content creators I say you guys are losing so much of some such a big opportunity because Bitcoin is it's legal tender. Um, you can choose to to um, convert it to US dollars, but only having that uh, window that you um, through which you can receive donations or anything, um, it's it's a big opportunity. Uh, you don't you don't see the value, um, but uh, a lot of people. If you do that, a lot of people like me will decide. Okay, I want to donate to this guy because I know it will go directly into his pocket. I know exactly what you mean, and I mean we we sort of call it like value for value, right? Mm -hmm. And um, even like with this podcast, because um, I had a you know I've done a lot of other things, uh, and I had another podcast, and I, I never got a single cent from it because you know you need to have millions of views before you even mm -hmm. start to be able to monetize. But with this podcast, which is you know still very early days, I've had people all over the world support through the lightning network mm. send me bitcoin mm. directly to my show they stream it to the show mm. and i'm able to use it and then i'm able to use that down at the waterfront to buy a coffee and bitcoin mm. or i can you know send it to a friend and it's mm. like it removes those barriers yeah and especially you get a young person um you know maybe a blogger or someone making youtube videos um if they can then also accept um, bitcoin donations yeah. it could be a lot of money for them you know even ten thousand satoshis mm. twenty thousand satoshis that's well, that'd be quite a lot yeah. in, in our Salvador, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. 
So yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if you heard about um, uh, Ukraine. Um, they open a. I think they open three um, uh, digital currencies um, options for donations when they were at the beginning of last year. One of them was Bitcoin, and like you can track how much donations they have, and even even right now they're still getting donations. Um, and I think they got like $25 million only through Bitcoin donations. Um, so I think countries like Ukraine would say, uh, they were probably thinking, uh, we'll see if we get a little bit of money through that medium. And now that they're seeing, uh, actually, a lot of people are really keen on, you know, donating. Well, it removes the middleman because yeah. a lot of these international charities and that are actually, they have huge operational costs. Mm. And so you send money to um, UNICEF or, mm. or something and pretty much most of it goes to paying their team. Yeah. And only a little bit goes, yeah. it's basically a business. But with Bitcoin, you don't need any of that. You just send yeah. it to an address and it yeah. works. So I think countries like the Ukraine, um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Bitcoin becomes either an alternative or legal tender oh, in the yeah. next in the next few years because I'm really sure that they they have seen the value um, that Bitcoin provides mm. and and I think kind of related to that is you know these volcano bonds that the government is trying to implement in El Salvador uh, in the Salvador mm. is almost the same like they're offering something of value to anyone in the world. Um, that they can purchase um, for a little bit of money. I think that each volcano bond is going to be like a hundred dollars, US dollars, or something. And and they're offering this one, and anyone in the world will be able to purchase these volcano bonds through Bitcoin. So what they're doing is basically kind of like uh, crowd crowdfunding. Yeah. A lot of the projects through Bitcoin. Well, it's like, how do you even get involved with stuff like that? Because if you have to go through traditional legacy institutions, it's like no way. Yeah. But if it's Bitcoin, yeah, man, I'll, I'll buy yeah. a Volcano Bond. Yeah. Like, even if you even if you wanted just to say, I have one Volcano yeah, Bond. Yeah, you get the little yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Like, people will do it. It's uh, kind of fun. But, I mean, look, that's the world we live in. It's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of a bit of fun. Mm. But actually, if millions of people do it, that could be life. And also, yeah, and also, like you, you get the feeling that you're actually helping, you know, a a country that's proven to to be doing um, good. You're actually helping them. That satisfaction of um, making El Salvador become better, just by providing hundred dollars that will become. Well, I, I mean, I tell you, I, I was talking to another Bitcoiner recently and he, he was saying oh you know i'm thinking about getting out of new zealand and i was like well, where do you want to go and he said oh, i'm thinking about el salvador <laughs> and i mean for me as well it's a, a place i'd like to visit mm. and so i mean if, if we're thinking about that there must be a lot of people out there thinking mm. the same thing and i think the world's still trying to kind of recover from the whole covid thing and, mm. and that but i mean especially coming into the next halvening as bitcoin price mm. inevitably goes up again in u.s dollar terms I think you're going to see a huge amount of people arrive yeah. and it's going to be really beautiful. And, yeah, well, um, that, I think now is the time to invest in El Salvador. And I'm, think, I'm myself think, um, having some thoughts about probably like buying like Airbnb apartment or something in yeah. El Salvador because I know that in the next few years 
uh, and even now it's already becoming a really popular in, you know place so more and more tourism will come in a lot of people will want to invest properties are going to start to get more expensive so yeah this this might be the best time to get in, to get in and, to invest and, in. but and i see like this, this is one of the things that really amazed me about um bukele this guy it's already thinking about what's going on in what's going to happen in the next five years yeah so what they're doing is that they build in all this infrastructure roads and stuff. roads and stuff for the benefit of the salvadorians but also because they see that what's coming next um and the, the thing that I would really like to see is more um, investment in um, fiber optics infrastructure in the Sabado, because at the moment, the internet in the Sabado, I think the more that you normally get is four, 40 megabytes per second, um, which is for New Zealand standard, it's really low. Um, so, because you'll have what you're saying, you'll have all these remote workers coming into the Sabado. They'll want to have fast internet access or reliable internet access so you're gonna have to have the infrastructure in place for all these the businesses and remote workers um all all, all these new people that are arriving even um, um uh, immigrants or expats living in the u.s are coming back to el salvador to um implement new businesses um so these guys are looking forward because I, they they see all this um new infrastructure being built and it's funny because a lot of them a lot of these experts they before bukele arrived they did not see them they were they didn't think they were going to ever go back to the sabado they always thought okay the u.s is my home and I'm gonna retire here because the Sabo is never gonna change. It's always gonna be the dangerous place. And a lot of them had real reasons. A lot of them, they they ran away from the Sabo because they had either someone got murdered or they were themselves, um, you know, um, being harassed by the gang members. So a lot of them had real fears of coming back. And a lot of them are losing that fear now. And we'll see a lot of um, uh, expats coming back, either to um, retire in the suburb or to have more invest new businesses. Yeah, replace fear with hope and fueled by Bitcoin. Yeah. I, I love it, man. I really appreciate you sharing your story with me, um, and I've learned a lot. Uh, you oh, know. thanks, thanks, I, thanks for having me. No, thank you. I, I really, um, I would like to go to El Salvador as well. Oh, for and, sure. And yeah, you're more than you're more than invited to yeah, come. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, you will definitely enjoy. Like today, I think it's it's a little bit of a cloudy day here in Wellington, but um, El Salvador. Beautiful weather. It's beautiful weather. Like you can say that ninety five percent of the time it's a sunny day. Yeah. So you will never be like, oh, I can't go out today because yeah. man, I had these plans to go to the volcano or I had to. Go. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice place. You 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 better bring some shirts. Yeah, because you're gonna get um, sun because yeah. it's around 35 to 40 degrees over there. Oh wow, that's beautiful. All right, thank you, Roberto. No, thanks to you, Kadi. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye.